chapter 2. All right, I'm talking about uh, thievery, robbery. The Bible word is beguiled. And um, uh, just by review, this letter was written to the church at Colossae. And it's very similar to the, to the letter written to the Ephesians. And so it's just it's amazing that when, um, uh, when you put Colossians and Ephesians together, there are a lot of similarities and there are a lot of, there, they overlap a lot. And there's, there's just a lot of hammering of truth. It was Paul's burden. What you get from this is it was Paul's great burden that every church got these truths that we are looking at in, in, in Colossians. We could be, there's a lot of the things that you see in Colossians that are also in Ephesians. And the idea is that every church needs every word from the Bible. And Paul is sending a letter here and sending a letter there. I don't think he knew. Now, the Holy Spirit is guiding it all, but I don't think he realized that that uh, uh, there's going to be such an effort to put it all together and end up with a Bible um, and uh, uh, people being able to read both Colossians and Ephesians. But here, his, 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 uh, his concern is, is a worry that, that these Christians were being robbed, okay? Uh, it is a very doctrinal letter. When you read through Colossians, it's not a story. It doesn't tell you about somebody who went here and bought that and did this. No, it's doctrine, line upon line, precept upon precept, things that, that, that teach us what is right and what is true, okay? So it's, they're very precise truths, and we've gone through some of them about the deity of Jesus Christ and about His place and His preeminence in every part of a Christian's life. And so they're very precise, and so... Uh, some people, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to struggle with, man, what does he mean by this? Because uh, um, these things are, are, are so important to nail down and go, there's no better way. Obviously, God says there's no better way to describe it than what we see in his word. So uh, when you come to Colossians, you're seeing very exact explanations of spiritual truths that you couldn't otherwise describe. Now, Paul spends quite a lot of time and effort connecting the dots, so to speak, in people's minds of understanding um, these, uh, these uh, New Testament truths and um, uh, beef up their understanding, beef up their, 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 their faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as you read these things, say, I don't understand it. Yeah, but as you read it and you just believe it, what happens is you go, oh, now I understand it. It happens. It comes in time as you read it. I remember the first time I read my Bible, it was like... It was like um, uh, it's like, I don't know, it, 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 was, it was like going through um, on a journey, going from A to B. I've never been there before, and it was all like, wow, 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 what is that, what is that, what is that? The second time I read my Bible through, I went, oh, I remember that. Oh, okay, now I remember reading that. The third time, I'm, already, I'm starting to take notes. Fourth, I'm actually connecting with what the preacher's saying. The point is, as you read the Bible, you start to, it, it does happen, you start to grow in your understanding and Paul's trying to make sure that these uh, Christians at Colossae, who he's never met before, are, are becoming strong in their faith because there were so many false doctrines, even in his day, false teachers that were robbing Christians. So it was not written just for Colossae. It was written for Balancholic, written for McCroom, written for Caroline, written for Limerick, written for everywhere. Now, uh, let's, let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, and then I'll talk about it and get into verse 8, where we're going to spend our time tonight. Colossians chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1. 
For I would that ye knew how great conflict. You ought, to under, you ought to underline or circle that word conflict. Paul's got a concern. He's got a burden. He says, what great conflict I have for you. And for them, another town called Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. My concern is, my conflict is that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love under all, <coughs> under all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's that word, beguile there. For though I be absent of the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, bounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware. Beware lest any man spoil you, rob you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So Paul had great conflict for these people. Not that he was struggling against them, but that he was concerned for them. You know, a lot of times Christians aren't under physical um, attacks. Uh, how many of you got, got uh, fired because you're a Christian this week? None of you. How many of you uh, were spit at for being a Christian this week? How many of you were, were run off the road this week because you're a Christian? Not one of us. So most of our attacks are not physical. They're doctrinal. They're emotional. They're spiritual. And it's very important for a Christian to nail down, to, to anchor what we believe because there's every wind of doctrine out there that blows. The more the internet explodes with options, the more people get caught up in crazy things. There is a guy who started a church, and I use that term very loosely. He didn't start a church at all, but he started a church called the, the, the Church of the Mind. Now, he's actually nothing new because Mary Baker, Eddie Glover, Cleaver's been white, uh, uh, they, there, there were some weirdos and wackos back 100 years ago who believed the same thing, and that was my mind can override anything that my flesh experiences. And so what he did was on a YouTube, he sat there and he stabbed himself. <laughs> now that sounds dreadful, but he really believed that his mind would stop himself from bleeding and from hurting. Well, he's like, I gotta go. Like, come on. He has a, but there were people in the audience listening to him talk about, about the mind. Let me tell you, there is so much, and I just grieve at how people, you say, I would never be caught up in that. No, but there, the devil knows your back alley. He knows what can get your attention and pull you away from Christ. So Paul had great conflict. Paul wanted all churches to be comforted. He says there, uh, uh, the great conflict I have for you and for them in the Laodicea, for as many as I have not, have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted. He knew that being a Christian in the first century was hard, worried about their emotional and spiritual stability. You know, uh, we have those days, but Paul says, I want you to be encouraged. He also wanted them to be knit. I love those words. Did you notice that? Look in the middle of verse 2. Being knit together in love. Now, uh, it, to, to knit something together is to weave it together so that it doesn't easily come apart. Is that, is, do you understand what I'm saying? And that's how our hearts, our relationships ought to be. 
it ought to be next to impossible to get a group of Christians to fall out with one another. Do you hear me? Knit together in love means, yeah, there's every pull and every reason, but they won't let go. It ought to be very hard for Christians to have a falling out, to pull apart. So Paul wanted them to knit together in love. Paul wanted the Christians to enjoy all the riches of two great realities. The first reality was called the mystery of God. Now, who wants to take a guess at what the mystery of God is? I want to try. Brother Tony. The incarnation. 1 Timothy chapter 3.16, here in his mystery of godliness, that uh, God was manifest in the flesh. So, this is to a Jew. I was listening to Ben Shapiro. I don't know if you heard him. He's a, he's a right-wing, very conservative, very good Orthodox Jew, politically speaking, so on and so forth. And he was interviewed. What did he think of Jesus? And he said um, he, he probably tried to be a rabbi, but he was killed because he was just a troublemaker. So he wasn't the Son of God. No, he couldn't have been the Son of God. God would never become a man. That's what he said. And I'm going, that's a shame. For somebody who knows the scriptures, and he does, somebody who claims to believe the Old Testament scriptures, and he claims he does, to be that close and say, no, God would never do that. That's the mystery, that God would do it, that God did do it and became a man. So that's a richness. See, most churches are about you. Are you listening? In the biblical church, the Christian church is about Jesus Christ. So when, when, when our modern world tries to steal the preeminence of Jesus Christ from churches. That's what we're dealing with. And he should, he should never be dethroned and put your needs up on the pedestal of a church. Oh, we've got to make sure we meet everybody's needs. Hey, there are needs to be met. But our first and foremost desire and design is to lift up Jesus Christ. Paul, uh, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, then all men will come and they'll be drawn unto me. So he says, two great mysteries. Uh, our realities, the mystery of God, and the treasures that are found in Jesus Christ. Think about the treasures. Uh, the treasures are the wisdom of God, uh, the, the, the knowledge, knowing. Paul said that I may know him because he said that's the treasure, just getting to know him, understand him. The more you contemplate and you learn the mind of God, the wilder your imagination and your, your, your joy gets. Because as you start to see the bigger picture, this world fades and it just doesn't have the grip on you. And, and Paul says, that I, just, I just want to know him because he's my treasure. And I don't believe any YouTube, I don't believe any pastor, I don't believe any church can give you what Jesus Christ will give you. Paul says, uh, enjoy those two great riches because there you need to be on guard that someone would come along and rob you of those great, two great truths. All the treasures found in Jesus Christ. Where do most people find treasures? In banks, in investments, in relationships. They find their treasures in prospecting, in stock markets. They find their treasures in, um, uh, uh, in, in old antiques. They find treasures in their family. But a Christian, our treasure is in Jesus Christ and understanding that He was God, come in the flesh, it ought, to just, it ought to just make us just go crazy thinking about how awesome that he loves us. So, now Paul goes to some encouragement in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For though I be absent of the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. 
And as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, just keep walking in Him. Rooted and built up in the faith, in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Paul says, I stand with you. Now that's amazing to me. Because um, uh, <clears throat> Paul wasn't there. But he says, I'm in your corner. I'm fighting with you. I'm fighting for you. I am in the place of prayer when, when you're away. He was, he was hundreds of miles away, if not a thousand miles away. And he says, I am with you in spirit. Now, uh, I thought of this, and if you remember, and we don't have time, but the Second Kings chapter, Kings chapter 5, we have, a, <clears throat> we have a man named Naaman the leper. Remember him? So Naaman the leper comes to um, Elijah. Uh, no, Elisha. Is Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. Comes to Elisha and wants him to heal him. And Elisha didn't even talk to him. Sends his servant and says, go dunk yourself seven times in Jordan River and you'll be fine. And he's so angry. He says, boy, I was hoping that he would strike over the, uh, uh, over the wound and he would say some magic words and it would be all a big to-do. And All he wants me to do is go get in that muddy water. <clears throat> but he does it anyway. Well, when he comes up after that seven dip, he comes up out of that water, he's perfectly whole, he's healed. He goes to his satchel on the side of one of his camels or whatever it was, and he takes out buckets of gold. He tries to give it to the, uh, the prophet. The prophet says, I'll take nothing. No, no, go on your way. Go on. Well, the servant of Elisha went, oh, what are you doing? We could use that money. <laughs> so when Elisha wasn't looking, his servant, Gehazi, runs off and says, well, my master changed his mind. And he said, just, just two talents of silver, and, or a talent of silver, and two changes of clothes. Could you, could you just spare a little bit? So he wraps it up, and he takes it all the way home, and he hides it, and then he goes in to where Elisha's sitting. And Elisha said, did not my heart go with you as you went back to the man? And the point is, Elisha knew his battle. And even though he didn't watch him, he knew what was going on, just like a mother does, knowing what's going on with her children. And Paul is hundreds of miles away, and there's a spiritual discernment that says, I know so-and-so is going through a battle. And if you've never had that sense, I need to pray. I need to go find them. I need to phone them. And you need to check your heart, because that happens where a Christian gets a sense of, my spirit and their spirit is connected. That's what God does in the kingdom of God. So Paul says, I, I stand with you. He says, just keep living what you first believed. As you therefore received. How did you receive Jesus Christ? By faith. So you live by faith. Now he calls it a walk, which means live it. Live the same way you got saved. Uh, make your faith a walk a way of life, a lifelong journey, not just a once-off event. Oh, I got saved. I've had people tell me this. I got saved, and then I did this, I did that, I did that. What, 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 what? It's like getting married. It's not a once-off thing, and then you go off back to your old life. So make your, 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 your faith your walk. He goes on, and he says, uh, 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 grow deeper in your faith. Now, I don't try to get new faiths, but... Grow deeper in your faith. Uh, there are a lot of people who want to have wilder experiences. And I've been in those kind of churches. Before I got saved, I was in probably 
about two dozen across a couple of years, two dozen charismatic churches where people doing things I don't even want to talk about. And each one of them was crying out for a greater, more incredible experience. That's not what Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to uh, root your faith deeper in Jesus Christ. You're not trying to find some new buzz, some new experience, some new church. There are too many people, and even in our midst, who would, if they had a chance at a church opened up down the road and they had uh, drums or they had a better preacher, or they had an Irishman preaching, or they had, they go, oh, I want to try that. That happens. Grow deeper in your faith. Build every decision on Jesus. Build it on His words. There are decisions you need to make that you need to make sure you've got a scripture for, not just, well, I'm going to move. Did God give you a verse? Did God give you a confirmation? That's what you should do. Build your life on the words, on the strength, on the promises, and on the way of Jesus Christ, on the way of life. Find your stability in believing, not in achieving. What is that? What am I getting at? Well, he says, root and build up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught. Established in the faith. That means that your stability is in what you believe, not in what you achieve. That's very important. Because if, if I believe something and my life falls apart, you know what I do? I throw away my beliefs. Don't do that. Don't do that. Find out what is to be believed and let hell or high water come. My stability is in whom I'm trusting, not in what I'm achieving. Because if you won the lottery tomorrow, your faith would change. Would you agree? You'd believe that God is now on your side. And you would end up not being in church. You would end up being a philanthropist, giving money away. Everybody would be wanting your money. And you would change how you live. Find your stability in the faith that was once delivered unto the, unto, unto the saints, and then keep learning. Uh, never, never does he say uh, that you've already learned enough. No, the Christian yearns to learn more and yearns and is open and teachable and even rebukable. And then abound in thanksgiving. You know what today is so rare? I think, honestly, Christians ought to be the most grateful people on the planet. I don't care if somebody gives you a cup of water. I don't care if your tea is cold. I don't care if, if uh, somebody doesn't uh, uh, you know, do much for you. We ought to be grateful. The Bible uses the key word there is abounding with thanksgiving. What does that mean? That means it needs to run over. Like, come on, you said it enough. <laughs> and you ought to be that way. Now, that's his encouragement. And really, they can't be repeated enough over and over and over. Because they needed to beware of verse 8. Verse 8 says this, and this is where we're going to talk tonight. Beware, lest any man spoil you of all that you have as a Christian. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So Paul wants every Christian to beware of three things. One, now by the way, let me just tell you, remind you what beware means is to be very aware. That's what it means. Have all eyes open. How many eyes do you have? <laughs> you know, 16. Have all eyes open, sensitive to your surroundings, wary of, regard with caution, to restrain oneself from anything that might be dangerous, injurious or improper, to avoid or to take care. <clears throat> so to, to, we're to beware of being beguiled, tricked, deceived, snookered is the Irish word. And he uses a phrase there in verse 4. He says, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. What do you think um, 
uh, um, Dean, what do you think enticing words are? And they're going to use things that you already want. Okay, so enticing words excite you with hope or desire, seduces you, tempts you, allures you with what you want. And that's what, that's what most churches are all about. I'm just sad by it, brother. I'm sad by how most preaching is using enticing words. Beware of being beguiled with enticing, with wise-sounding words. Now, we tell, us to, we tell this to our children. We say, we tell them, don't talk to strangers. And don't, don't do, some guy winks at you, slap him. Because that's, 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 those, are, those are enticements and they're wrong. He says, secondly, he says, of being spoiled, robbed, mugged. And uh, go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, for a cross-reference. Verse 27. Mark 3, 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, which means rob his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And doesn't sin do that, Brother Tony? Remember your illustration where you have somebody and you start to wrap around them with the rope? Isn't sin like that? And the devil never gets you until he starts to convince you, oh, this isn't going to get me. Oh, I can manage this. I can do this. I can quit anytime I want. And then all of a sudden, you're stuck. So that's, and, and when the devil does that, he robs you of joy. He robs you of your time. He robs you of your money. He robs you of your, of your purpose in life. Everybody in this room is called to do something for God. And can the devil rob you of that calling? He sure can. He can so make it so that you end up in the hospital or you end up constantly struggling to pay bills and you can't serve the Lord. So Paul warns about being beguiled, about being spoiled, and about being manipulated. Now, manipulation is for next week. But wow, verses 16, 17, and 18 is talking about how legalists come and they use Christians. Um, they use Christians who are ignorant of what they have in Christ, ignorant of the Bible. And we'll talk about that next week. I want to look at the first two tonight. I know that most Christians are not worried about being lied to, deceived, or manipulated. Most Christians don't think that they'll be deceived. And it's, it's uh, pretty sad because that's why there's so much confusion in Christianity. I mean, how else to explain that there are 27,000 different denominations and religions and churches, 27,000 different ones. I'm just talking about different names. There's a church over in Wilton called Calvary Baptist. We're Bible Baptist. Um, uh, up in uh, Limerick, it's Ankara Baptist. The, uh, we're not different denominations at all. We're Bible-even Christians. But there are 27,000 different nutcase groups out there. How do you explain that? I know how. Christians easily follow the Pied Piper. They don't check them out and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, is that in the Bible? So who robs believers, and who should be cautious of? Who will rob you? Now, I'll tell you who the first one is, religious teachers. Go to Luke 20 and 46. Luke 20. Luke 20, 46. I'm all for religious freedom. 
you know, if ever there came push came to shove, I would fight for your right to be wrong. <laughs> Amen. I will fight for the right of a church to exist. I don't care what they believe within reason. Obviously, you know that. But let's go to Luke chapter 20, verse 46. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that I am glad or that I want a variety of religions. 2046. Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes, and they love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief room at feasts, but they end up devouring widows' houses. And for a show, make long prayers. The same shall receive what? Greater damnation. Now, a scribe was somebody who basically copied out Scripture and made copies and tried to and became teachers of the law. They were like the Pharisees. They worked alongside, but they were religious teachers. Now, you need to be aware and beware of smooth-talking religious teachers because they're everywhere. People who want to get the modern Christian sucker to believe them instead of the Bible. Um, I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm going to go through my list here. Jehovah's Witnesses are called to your door and they say, can we talk to you about the kingdom? And uh, if, if uh, Catholics come to your door and they're trying to get people to go out and, and start going, doing novenas, things like that, they will constantly appeal to traditions and historic events. And... Um, uh, now, right now, here, even in Ireland, the Catholics are very quiet, so on and so forth. But I've noticed, especially just in recently, I've noticed that the Calvinists have really made a major, big try to uh, attract attention by modern Christians. And it really bothers me because I have no time for somebody constantly, to appealing, constantly appealing to a man's teaching, John Calvin, instead of Scripture. You want to deal with Scripture? Talk to me. You want to quote Calvin? Go quote it to somebody else. Because Calvinists are killing churches. They're not helping anybody. I've watched it. I'm saved 37 years, and I'm no fool. I've watched the charismatic self-destruct, and I've watched the Calvinist self-destruct because they become the most pharisaical, the most judgmental. They destroy each other because they're quoting from a man. Charismatics, they focus on supernatural revelations, miracles, I'm being led with the Spirit instead of just being led by the Scriptures. Now, my point is this, religious teachers, be wary of them. Now, I don't mean I haven't read John Calvin. I read his, there's two volumes of his institute. Some is dry as last week's toast. Some of it's pretty good. He wasn't, he wasn't an infidel, but he was wrong about some key truths. And I'll talk to you one of these times, I'll actually teach you on Calvinism, why we're not a 1 point, 2 point, 3 point, 4 point, or a 5 point Calvinist. Well, not any of that stuff. I'm a Bible believer. And religious teachers, you can learn from almost anybody. But I'm weary of them. I'm weary of them. You need to examine religious teachers. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, privily means secretly, 
sneakily, privily shall bring in what kind of heresies? Say it with me. Damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destructions. Beware of false teachers. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. So next time you're on the YouTube and you're watching somebody with a beard talk and pontificate, they all seem to have beards. Have you noticed that? You ever notice all the people on YouTube that are trying to teach about God and teach the Bible and stuff like that? They all have these beards. They all want to, there's something weird, I don't know, something's wrong. No problem with a beard. I just got a problem with everyone. I'm looking the same. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2 says this. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And as a church, he says, I know how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them what? So, and I met him. I met him where I'm apostle so-and-so. Well, I'm bishop so-and-so, and I'm apostle of so-and-so. And you can test them. You can find out they're liars. Chapter 2, verse 18 now, still in Revelation 2, 18. And under the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest a woman, that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. You allow her to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. He says, stop it. Beware of teachers. And you know what? You say, well, uh, and, I, and I, uh, I've been rebuked by charismatic ministers who say, don't question the Holy Spirit. I go, I'm not questioning the Holy Spirit, I'm questioning you. Go to uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Because you know what? When Paul went into a meeting room and got to preach, you know what he expected? Everybody to check him out. He expected them to say, excuse me, where was that found? Let me see it with my own eyes. He submitted to people testing what he taught. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these Jews were more noble than those over in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things that Paul was preaching were right or so. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. See, a lot of, a lot of Paul's, you'll, you'll see it spread throughout of his writings, especially 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. He writes these words. He says, don't you believe that I'm an apostle? Because there were false teachers saying, Paul's not really an apostle. He's not really to be followed. Follow me. And Paul was in, is, was in conflict with, with false teachers who were interfering with the gospel. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, Truly the signs, the miracles of an apostle were, apostle were wrought, were done among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul says, I patiently did whatever you needed me to do to prove I was who I was. 
I patiently took you to every scripture to show you why I believe what I believe. You know what I believe? I believe every person who's a Christian ought to have a local pastor who you can look straight in the face and you can ask questions face to face, heart to heart, because YouTube and internet and TV pastors, they're liars. And if you spend more time on the YouTube than you do in the book tube, I don't know how to call it that, but in the book, and if the YouTube is where you get all your spirituality, I got news for you. They'll never, they'll never minister to you like a pastor, even though he's wrong sometimes. So, religious teachers, what is the point? Beware of them. Do not just go, well, I like this guy. No, test Every religious teacher, that doesn't mean hate them all. Don't just, I've also got this other side of the coin where the Christians don't go to church. They don't hardly watch anything spiritual, whatever. They sit back and they go, oh, I just don't trust anybody. Well, that's stupid. You imagine if your wife was like that to you? You got it, you got it. Bible says love one another. I can't love somebody on the other side of a computer screen. But I can love you, and I can love you, and I can love you, and I can love, I'm trying, I'm trying. Love him. And God told me to do that. You can too. So test every religious. You pick up a book and it says, how to know God. Well, be skeptical. Is this guy, which God are they talking about? And you find out he's some Hindu guy. Test every religious teacher because otherwise they'll swipe out your book that you hold in your hand for a book of, about God. I don't want any Christian in this room reading books about the Bible when they should be reading the Bible. Amen? They'll get you to quit praying and start yoga meditating. They'll convince you that God doesn't answer prayers anymore. Just Calvinist says, why do you pray to move a mountain? God doesn't move mountains at your prayer. God does what He wants. And let me tell you, God can move mountains at my prayer. I believe that. So when somebody comes and says, you know, you pray out of duty. I don't pray out of duty. I pray out of desperation. Amen. Watch out for religious, religious te teachers because they'll convince Christians to believe in evolution. And so I, I tell you what, there are tons and loads of these modern ministers. They're all in these, in these churches that don't call themselves, them, they call themselves the bridge. Or they'll call themselves the way fellowship. And... Uh, the river of life. You know what they all say? We don't know whether God created in six days or not. And it doesn't matter. You know what they're doing? They're robbing you. They're robbing you of faith in the Bible as written. Amen, amen, and amen. Secondly, not only religious teachers, but highly educated teachers. Watch out for when you're in school. Here's, here's uh, um, Dean and... Um, I mean, there's uh, Nathan. You guys are, got great teachers there. Not everything they say is right. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Speaking of professors, because that when they knew God, and believe me, anybody who's ever done any study sees God. You see God as a designer. You see God's fingerprints everywhere. But when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, 
Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Here's your professor. Professing themselves to be so wise, what they become? They became fools. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6.20. O Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.20. O Timothy. Hold on to that which is committed to thy trust. Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So don't trust anybody when they speak as if they can override God. I don't care if somebody comes along and has visions or miracles or even, the, even if an angel appeared to the bottom of your bed. It's hard to talk to you. Don't believe them. Don't listen to them. Turn over and go to sleep. You know, in the end of the day, don't even trust yourself. Don't even trust yourself. That's why you need to have counselor. That's why you need to have, a, have somebody that you sit down with and say, this is how I feel. Am I right in feeling this? That's a good thing because if you trust your heart, bye-bye. <laughs> the devil will lead you, hook, line, and sinker off a cliff. Highly educated teachers are not to be followed. Folks, let me tell you, uh, men and women, when they speak for God, and I came up with a list. Go to Acts chapter 2. You know, forget the picture for a second. <laughs> Acts chapter, did I say Acts, Acts chapter 2? It should be Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2, 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and long-suffering of God, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for every man's a liar. Where's that verse? 3, 4. Thank you. 3, 4. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a... All right, just stop with that thought. How many is every there? Huh? Every man is a liar. Whether they are Pope John Paul II. By the way, you know what Pope John Paul II said? Genesis is a myth. Said that in 1981. How about the current Pope Francis? Let me say this. He said, and he came across back there in 2015, he declared that Mary is co-redemptrix with Jesus the Redeemer. Now we already knew that they believed that, but he made it official. How about old Charlie Darwin? You know, when you, when you think about it, briefly, you think evolution seems so logical. I mean, everybody thought that it made sense, and everybody still believes that evolution is, is the most sensible, the most scientific, until you look at the detail and you go, nothing can explain this. Science can't explain anything that Charlie Darwin thought was just simple. He actually believed down at the level cells were made up of little globules of life that just got together, mixed together, and made life. But the more their microscopes got closed in on mitochondria and the inner workings of the cell, you have to throw your hands up and go, this is a miracle. So uh, uh, what about that guy? What's his name? Richard Dawkins. Listen to him. It is fashionable 
to wax apocalyptic about the threat to humanity posed by the AIDS virus, by mad cow disease, and so many others. But I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's greatest evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. Now that was deep, but his point is he hates religion. He hates anything that is not science. Don't believe him. How about this guy named Aristotle? Aristotle was kind of a nutcase. He had a lot of wisdom, but there were times when he didn't. Uh, Socrates, he was another philosopher. These were guys uh, three and four hundred years before the birth of Christ. Plato comes along, uh, uh, and I don't have a picture of Plato. They didn't take pictures, but they had statues of him. He was a, stock, a student of Socrates, and he worshipped knowledge. Uh, every man's a liar, including Bertie Ahern. Everybody would say amen to that. Uh, but then, what about some of these people? That, that Her name is Paula White. She's a pastorette. You know what she said back in, 19, in 2007? She said, anyone who tells you to deny yourself is from Satan. Oh, I guess Jesus is from Satan. I'm really messed up. <laughs> she said this, Jesus burned in hell for three days and nights to pay for your sins. That's why you got to test him, because she's a nutcase. Uh, I don't even Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers said, Jesus took your place in hell. He did not. Good night. He said to the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me in hell. No, he didn't. He said, in paradise. Get it. Joyce Myers said, Christians are all little gods. And then she said these things, and Joyce Meyer is very famous for saying these last words. She said, I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. <laughs> you ought to hear her raspy voice. I'm not a sinner. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is where I, that is where I was, and if I were still there, then Jesus died in vain. Now, what she's trying to tell you is that once you got saved, you no longer sin. You know, any struggle that you have because of sin is because you are not believing the gospel like you should. You shouldn't be having any, gospel, any problem with sin. You should be wealthy, healthy, and wise. She's a liar. Oh, there's Plato. <laughs> you know who that guy is? He's a wicked man. Um, for some reason, I don't have uh, him down here. Um, but uh, Oscar Wilde, a wicked, wicked, you know, he, he infected and affected two generations of Irish Catholics with such sly words and such fancy descriptions of Dublin town and all this stuff, and they call him a great Irish writer. You wouldn't want to read him. No hope for that man being in heaven. He's a homosexual. He's a pedophile. He had 14-year-olds in his room. And yet he's still honored as one of the great Irish writers. Every man's a liar. Benny Hinn. One of my favorite preachers. Not. I am a little Messiah, he said on November 6, 1990 on TBN. I'm a little Messiah. What? He goes on, he says, each one of the Trinity persons is a triune being himself. So there are nine in the Trinity. <laughs> Good night. Oh. He says, I don't want gold up in heaven. 
I want it here and now. <laughs> Boy, woo, he spoke the truth there. Then he said this. He said, if anyone speaks out against my ministry, curse you and curse your kid. That's Benny Hinn. Why am I saying all this? Because there are people who love him and are suckers for him and follow him and buy his books. They buy Oscar Wilde. They buy her books. I don't know what we do with Bernie Hearn anymore. I don't know, but anyway. Oh, what's he doing up there? You know, I got my blunders for sure. I try to teach people, but I never tell you to believe me. Amen. No priest, pastor, prince, or politician ought to be trusted with your soul. No visions, miracles, or even angels. Don't even trust yourself, as I said. Every man, including you, is a liar. It should say Romans 4, 2. Do not trust anyone with your soul. Would you do that? Would you let somebody just grab you and hold on to you, and you just fall in? And that's what a cult does. And that's what all of the churches do. Ultimately, they say, just trust us. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to understand this. Just, just trust your priest. Just trust us. Trust only the book in your hand, as we read there in Acts chapter 17, that simple book with words on a page. It has been so tested and hated and proven through time to be the words of God. Do you even know, could you point to three, four, five proven prophecies that prove the Bible's truth? Could you do that? You better get your, better get your uh, abilities up because... Uh, the devil will shake your faith unless you know that you know that you know this book is true. Um, they actually just found a, um, uh, we're doing Hezekiah uh, at the men's camp in, Mar in, in April. And um, they just found a little signet ring amongst a bunch of rubbish and, 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 and dust uh, over there in Jerusalem outside of the city. And on that ring, it said, with the authority of King Hezekiah on it. And, and that ring's 2,500 years old, or more than that, uh, 2,800 years old. And, and they go on, we don't have any evidence for King, boo, for King Hezekiah. There it was. Uh, that's kind of nice. That's encouraging. You ought to know your Bible's true. You ought to believe that Jesus is alive. The undeniable resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's more to beware of. Let me just wrap this thing up in verse eight, chapter 2, verse 8 again. Let's look at these four things and we'll be finished. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. I hope you guys are happy. It is awfully hot in here. Oh, my goodness. Dear Lord, I'm coming home. Yeah. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you, ruin you, rob you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So look at these four things, philosophy. Now, philosophy and science go hand in hand. What is philosophy? Philosophy is a thinker. It's a lover of, of wisdom. It's a lover of smart things. But basically, philosophy is how you view life. Every person in this room has a philosophy on life. I'll talk about that in a second. And there are zillions of different views on life. How do you view life? How is your life going? Uh, everybody's got their view on life. That's your philosophy. Not all, not all philosophies are wrong. And the study of philosophy is not wrong. But when philosophy is made king, 
and is made an authority over the Bible, then you have a problem. Did you know what the world's greatest minds have determined? Are you ready? Once an addict, always an addict. That's what the greatest minds have decided. You're going to trust them? You're going to trust the Bible. Addiction is a disease. That's what the greatest, most well-paid, most intellectual philosophers and scientists have decided. They've also decided that a sodomite is born that way. They're just following their genetic makeup. They've also decided that transgendered people are just trying to find their way. No, they're not. They're lost in sin. And they're hurting themselves. Most people look up to scientists and philosophers like they're so wise. Now, we used, to, we, also, we used to all appreciate what we call conventional wisdom. That's just basically we all agreed with something being right. But you got to be careful with some of that because not all conventional wisdom is good. For example, how many of you ever heard live and let live? That's modern wisdom. That's everybody says, I'll just live and let live. How about what goes around comes around? That's called conventional wisdom. That's not all wrong, but it's not Bible. To each his own, right? How about that? All we need is love. <laughs> or, well, I could go on and on. Forget that. God says that the wisest of the wisdom of this world is still below the foolishness of God. So what's wrong with science? Don't come in. What's wrong with science? Well, science is supposed to be about things we know, and things we're sure we know, like the laws of physics. Tell me, what's going to happen if I drop this? I'm not going to. What's going to happen? It will fall. It won't go up. Science knows some things about laws and gravity, about speed of light, about the laws of motion and atomic forces. Science is supposed to constantly test its conclusions over and over and over to make sure what it says is actually true and right. Have you heard of these pharmaceutical drug tests that kill people? Because they've done test after test with animals, and then they move to humans, and they do these tests, and they're checking out and checking out, and then it kills somebody. And they go, oops. <laughs> what were they doing? They're trying to make sure it's really safe. That's what science is supposed to do, amen? Aren't you glad for it? You imagine somebody designed an airplane? Free rides. How many want to ride my new airplane I just built? Have you flown it? No, not on your life. I'm not getting in there. <laughs> you want to make sure it's safe. So science tests itself, and that's all good. You know, modern science has come up with a lot of good accomplishments. You know, aren't you glad that science has figured out how to control electricity? Now, a guy named Benjamin Franklin, how many of you know who he was? Benjamin Franklin was one of the founding fathers of America, but he was a guy that was into all kinds of stuff. And one night, he is a lightning storm. Brilliance here. And he said, I want to see what that energy is. And he had a kite up there. And he had a key on the end of the kite, and he, he ultimately encouraged a lot of people to do this. It's kind of stupid. But he's trying to harness and find out what that lightning was, and it shocked the devil out of him, and it lit up that key and burned it there. And he started on this thing of, wow, electricity. Well, aren't you glad they figured out how to control it? I mean, you go to the plug and turn it on, and it's like, <laughs> it doesn't kill you. They've controlled it. That's what science has done. How many of you remember, how many of you know what a horseless carriage is? It's what you drove in tonight. That was designed and come up with and tested, and now we drive it. How about the transistor? 
that's what computers are made of. When you pick up a, an Apple, Mac, or a, or a Dell, or whatever, there are hundreds of millions of these things invented back in 1956 called transistors. Radio and TV transmission, telephone communications, spaceships and satellites, nuclear power stations, and best of all, the microwave oven. Scientists have given us everything we need. <laughs> Some science is not so good. Back in the 1700s, when you got a high fever, you know what they did? They slit your arm and they bled you to death. That's what scientists did. Not witch doctors, but scientists and doctors. Back in the 1950s, they came up with, they took a, they took a, a poison called DDT, and they said that it would be great for getting rid of bugs. So they would drive down through towns full of kids playing out in their, in their front gardens, and they sprayed everybody with DDT. Scientists. And they condemned generations to cancer. How about nuclear bombs? Boy, science gave us a good thing there, didn't it? You know, one nuclear bomb can wipe out 500,000 people in one pop. How about cryogenics? Science is promising the fact that if we freeze you, maybe in 100 years we'll be able to thaw you out and give you a whole new life and get you to live for 1,000 years. That's what science is doing. Not all science is that good. But the worst part about science is where they teach that there is no God, we don't need God, evolution has done everything. So if any scientist tries to get you to ignore God in the Bible, you're to avoid Him. Amen? Amen. Uh, vain deceit. What is vain deceit? Van vanity is a focus on yourself. Is people lying to you about you so you think that they love you? Think that they're interested in you? No, they're interested in your wallet. What is McDonald's? What did McDonald's used to say? Have it your way. That's advertising. That's a lying vanity. Now they just say, I'm loving it. It's all about you. There's so many things that appeal to you as an individual. Those are called vain. And almost all advertising is tailored to, in spite of all the different tastes, they're trying to appeal to millions of different tastes and desires. And Paul warns a Christian to be aware, to beware of anything that is appealing to you. Amen. I know that's hard because you, you want something that reflects you. You want to have clothes that reflect your attitude. You want, you want, uh, you want to buy an apple because that reflects your standing out from the crowd, even though everybody else at the university is an apple. But uh, you have, your hairstyle reflects you. Listen, that's vain deceit. You're lied to thinking that you are the most important. You know what? You're not. Anything that gets, tries to appeal to your body, to your flesh, to your looks, to your style, to your image, beware of it. Then he talks about the traditions of men. And there are three of them I can think of, religious traditions, cultural traditions, and even patriotism, political traditions. You've got to be aware of them. Religious traditions have big cathedrals, fancy Latin religious ceremonies. I, right now, if you know anything about... Um, Stuart Harvey, Stuart Harvey had a great young man who was at Stuart's right hand, got saved, got excited about serving the Lord, and then something fell out, and right now, you know what he's doing? He says, Stuart Harvey had a little bitty church. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that important. 
I go into a Catholic church and I feel near to God. And he's back a Catholic. What did he get? Snookered. He got beguiled by the, by, the big, by the bigness of these cathedrals. He was snookered by the traditions of men. Uh, cultural traditions, Mardi Gras. Uh, down there in Rio de Janeiro and some other cities, they have that filthy, wicked celebration of the flesh before they go for 40 days of fasting. And yet people get all caught up in that thing. Uh, how about stag and head hen parties before weddings? That's a wicked cultural um, tradition you should, as a Christian, have nothing to do with. Amen? Well, I've got to have a girlfriend. How old are you? 14. That is a tradition of your peers. Everybody having to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend at 14. Don't do it. That's a tradition. It's not right. Even patriotism, you've got to be careful of. Because not everything patriotic is right. How about the rudiments of the world? Now, I can't even show a picture of the rudiments of the world, but rudiment means the most animalistic, base, or low thing. These are the lowest things that people do. We would call them uncivilized. And you know what's funny? People are allured to that. They like to watch filthy, inhumane activities on TV. I don't like even describing, and I won't. But they, they, people are drawn to such things that are so low. They're what animals do, not what humans should do. When people choose to live together instead of getting married, try to test out different partners before they have to choose one of them, you know what you're doing? You're living by the rudiments of the world. That's what a dog does. Amen? You're not a dog. You're not a cat. You're not going around the neighborhood trying to find somebody else to see if they're the right one. You ask God for the right one. The rudiments of this world. What are we talking about? Christians get stuck into this. I mean, there are teens that have gone through our teen class, gone through preaching, and then they turn 17, 18. I'm watching you. Turn praying for you. 17, 18, 19, and they're in the rudiments of the world. They're trying the drinks. They're trying the girlfriends, trying the boyfriends. And, and yet they're saved just like you and me. But, but Paul said, beware, because you could be next. The rudiments of the world. All those things, the things that don't seek after Jesus Christ. You didn't learn any of those things. Jesus Christ didn't teach philosophy. He didn't appeal to anybody's vain vanity. He didn't try to teach traditions. As a matter of fact, he trashed them. And he definitely pulled people out of the rudiments of the world. He caught a woman caught in adultery, and he said to her, go and sin no more. Amen? Isn't that good? None of the above ought to impress you or get your attention. Somebody's real smart. Somebody's speaking over at CIT, and they're talking about science. They're talking about philosophy. Don't be impressed with them. Maybe there's some things you can learn from them. But basically, when it comes to the Bible and them, when they cross the Bible, you cross them. That's how you do it. So next time, we're going to settle three questions. Just how complete Jesus Christ is for you. I mean, if you got him, did you get enough? Secondly, just how complete are you in him? Well, you know, Pastor, I feel so incomplete. 
I bet you're not. I bet you're not. You may feel that way, but only because you don't know what you've got. I heard of a woman who <clears throat> had never had a bank account. She was very poor. She had a husband, sorry, she had a son. Her husband died. Uh, her, her son went off to college and at first was sending and was wiring cash to her. But after a few years, he was worried that it would get stolen, so he sent banker's checks to her. But she had never had a bank account in her life. Now, we're going back 1960s or something. She never had a bank account. She only had cash, only had money come to her. Now she gets this piece of paper. She can't read. She's sitting there poor. And so for years, she would receive a monthly check, and she would glue it onto her wall. Just add a little bit of paper, a little bit of color onto her dim. So when her son came home after two years or three years of being away in Australia or wherever it was, and he came back and he said, Mom, how are you getting on? Why do you look so poorly? Mom, what would you do with all the money? I said, Money? I thought you were just sending me paper. She had no idea what she had. She was still living like a poor person. She was so empty, and yet she had such wealth glued to her wall. And that's a lot of Christians. That's a lot of Christians. And then I'll tell you how to safely ignore all the efforts of the religious legalists who try to get any of us to perform. You didn't do this right. Well, you haven't done that. You haven't, been, you haven't baptized the right way. Well, you're not circumcised. Well, you're not keeping the right Sabbath. <laughs> you hear me? That's manipulation. We're not going to go there. We're going to stay in the book. Amen? Now, you see, this isn't the most fun type of message because it's doctrinal. But God evidently put tons of doctrine in our Bible to help us. It takes some time to get through, but I guarantee you, when you step out of here and you watch something on YouTube or you sit down and you listen to Richard Dawkins or somebody talking about evolution, all of a sudden your spirit will resonate going, this guy's a liar. Amen? And that's good. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. <clears throat> I'm glad for these who are here. Glad for the day. <clears throat> One of these days, I think Christians are going to be very surprised that every day will be the Lord's day in heaven. <clears throat> Every day, every hour, every minute of eternity, we will want to just praise the Lord. We will want to just serve Him, and we will. But why don't we now? Why don't we just go ahead and just cut loose and say, Lord, I'm yours. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. It's, yeah, we're having to chew on some meat tonight. We're having to think about a lot of things. But in the end, It'll save us from being tricked, deceived, manipulated, and robbed. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making it simple and yet taking care of everything. In Jesus' name.